Welcome to Locked On NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Wes Goldberg, Warriors beat reporter for the Mercury News and host of Locked On Warriors, here with David Ramil, the host of Locked On Heat. And on today's show, we discuss what's next for the Daryl Morey-led 76ers and if the Nets should be taken seriously as a contender next season. And we end today's show with what we would do as president. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Daryl Morey was introduced as the 76ers' new president of basketball operations on Monday, and he was he has his work cut out for him right away. One thing we know about Daryl Morey, he's not afraid to make trades, and he takes over a 76 a 76ers roster, David, that probably needs some trades. It needs to be shaken up a little bit. The pieces just didn't work together last season. The obvious names that people are going to be looking at are Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, and I want to get to those a little bit later because I don't think that those names are off the table, right? I think when Doc Rivers was hired, we had this assumption that the the 76ers were going to give it at least a year to see what Doc could do with Embiid and Simmons. But with Maury's track record of his quick trigger at the trade deadline and his, his willingness like last year to completely remake the Rockets on the fly, to trade guys like Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook and to just trade stars like that, uh, I wouldn't leave – I don't think anybody's untouchable on this roster. I think it would be foolish to say that anybody was. That said, that's, those aren't going to be the first names that he needs to move. I think he's going to at least try to make it work with Embiid and Simmons. Um, but I think the first step is, is trying to, to grease the wheels on a, maybe a Tobias Harris trade and an Al Horford trade. Those, are th- those, I think, are the main two guys that I'd be looking at um, as far as reshaping this roster. What do you think? That seems reasonable. I think you don't take over a team like this with the expectation of trading away your most talented players. I think you have to see what works and why. And I wonder if he comes into this project, because I do think it's fair to call it such, going in there with a clear plan or perhaps a strategy for what team he'd like to implement. I don't think when you have Embiid on that roster, clearly you can't replicate what you did in Houston. And so that has to change altogether. So what's his strategy? What's his view long-term, short-term for this team and how he plans to build it? Is it around Simmons? Is it around Embiid? Is it around both? But I mean, the idea of trading Harris or Horford, yeah, those absolutely make sense. But those are better conceptually than in reality. I just don't know that either any team is likely to take on either of those contracts. And, yeah, we've heard about adding picks or adding Josh Richardson as a sweetener to those contracts. But at the same time, th- those are so burdensome. And I think both of those players are just getting paid so much more than their value from what they produce on the court that they seem to me virtually untradeable. We say this all the time, though, right, that this contract is untradeable, and then we see those players get moved. Last year, we saw Russell Westbrook, Westbrook get moved yeah. for Chris Paul, and those both of those guys had untradeable contracts. Usually, untradeable contracts get traded for other untradeable contracts, and so I think there are other deals in the NBA. I think there's players on similar contracts that maybe it's just you're, you're changing teams a little bit. You're sort of just rearranging the deck chairs in the NBA, but I think that there's a couple of trades that I found that I went through them and look, you're right. It's harder. To, it's easier said than done to trade Tobias Harris, easier said than done to trade Al Horford. You look down the league and say, okay, what teams need Al Horford? What teams need Tobias Harris? And need is the key word there. I don't think any team needs either of them, but maybe, you know, there's enough interest there and then you could start a trade conversation, but then finding the right fit is really difficult. Um, I've got some trade ideas I want to get to, but I, I think you mentioned something there that's worth exploring a little bit more. 
what kind of team does Daryl Morey want to build? Because he's building with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons in mind, but he's also got to build with Doc Rivers in mind. And I don't think, and, and you and I got on this show and talked about how we didn't like the Doc Rivers fit. And I still don't. You, right. you were, you came on and, and, and were strong enough to say uh, that disaster. It's a disaster immediately right. before yes. he's ever coached a game. And um, one, what we, what, what we know that Embiid and Simmons do well Embiid is the best post-up player in the NBA. And Ben Simmons generates a ton of three-pointers with his drive and kick game. And both of them are all NBA level defenders. And I think it, and, and look, I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, breaking news here. You surround those kinds of guys with shooters. And right now they just don't have them. Tobias Harris is sort of a shooter. Josh Richardson is sort of a shooter. Al Horford was sort of a shooter, but they don't have like these knockdown guys anymore, right? They don't have the JJ Reddick guy. And they also need, I think, somebody who can create his own shot. You know, Joel Embiid sort of can do that, but only out of the post. Ben Simmons can, doesn't really create his own shot, but he can create shots for others. But they're missing that Jimmy Butler type of guy, right? It's not a coincidence that the furthest they went in the Eastern Conference is when Jimmy Butler was, was handling the ball in crunch time. And I think that they could use a player like that too. Um, now, and so if I'm Daryl Morey and I'm trying to reconstruct this thing, that's the sort of player that I'm going to go get, even if maybe it's a step back on its face in a trade, but at least the fit is better because you have, none of those guys are stars and Bede and Simmons are stars and you want to get players who accentuate their skills first and foremost. Yeah. I mean, that all makes sense, but you're, are you talking about a star level type player who can create his own shot? Because if that's the case, I, I just don't know that Philadelphia has the pieces in place to make that kind of an acquisition. I mean, yes, from a contractual standpoint, yeah, absolutely. You have Horford and Harris is in their big contracts. That's fine. But what are you going to get in similar value? That I just I don't see. Yeah, the I name that see- always comes up is Chris Paul. And look, the, it makes sense. Like Chris Paul has a relationship with Daryl Morey. It's a good relationship from everything we understand. Chris Paul didn't yes. leave Houston because of Daryl Morey. He left Houston because he didn't get along with James Harden. Doc Rivers and Chris Paul, they apparently buried the hatchet on their relationship, according to some reports last year. And obviously, you know, Doc has a history of coaching Chris Paul with the Clippers to, to you know, relative success. Um, that makes a lot of sense for what they need. He's a knockdown three-point shooter, spaces the floor. He can run the offense. He can make things easier for Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. But what are you tr- – like, does Oklahoma City want Tobias Harris? That's where you no. start to, to stick. I mean, unless Sam Presti thinks that he can turn Tobias Harris into another trade asset, right, which is possible, but at that contract, it's so tough. Um, that I don't, I don't know that Presti would go as far as to do that. And I think that the opportunity cost of trading Chris Paul for Tobias Harris, I, th- I think he can get more from Chris Paul after the season he just had than just Tobias Harris and some picks or Tobias Harris and Josh Richardson. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's harder to find who that player would be. And, and Maury would be willing to trade picks. He's shown in Houston that those things don't hold the same value for him that they do around the league in general. When it comes to building a team, he's more about making the big swing, the, the try to cash in early on getting that player, whoever that might be. I know the point was recently made, I think, on the Zach Lowe podcast where he talked about how Maury likes making that swing. He likes getting the big name, whatever that player might be. So maybe it's right. Maybe Chris Paul's performance last season is enough 
to kind of say to Maury, this is the kind of guy we need. We need a leader here. We need a veteran presence in that locker room to kind of stabilize the personalities of a Simmons and an Embiid. I could see that being, you know, a, a really key acquisition for Maury, another player that he'd absolutely want on that roster. But it boils down to what you have on this team and what you're willing to trade for it now. Would Sixers fans be content having Paul on that roster, knowing that they'd have to give up a ton of picks and maybe some young players and assets and things of that sort? Because that seems to me like that would be so counterintuitive to what they've been building over the last couple of years. I'm just not sure that that's what they'd be willing to do. Yeah, I guess with Daryl Morey, the, the benefit of him is he's been able to find guys like Daniel House Jr. and, and like guys like that, P.J. Tucker, on the fringes, right, With for real team-friendly contracts that you would say, like, okay, you could trade these first-rounders that aren't going to be that valuable because we hope to be a playoff team going forward. Then if we, if we can do that with Chris and build around a trio of Chris Paul, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid, then, you know, we're not going to need those first round picks because we can mine players on the fringes uh, that can fill out some of these other roles because that's what they should have done instead of paying Tobias Harris $35 million a year, you know? And so, um, yeah, I think if you're a 76ers fan, that would be what the hope is. Um, But let's, let's look at some of these trades. I mean, it would require every pick and pick swap that the 76ers could do probably and Tobias Harris and maybe Josh Richardson for Chris Paul. If that's on the table, I think you do it. I, I just think you have to because Chris Paul obviously brings all the things on the floor, but he also has that moxie and that attitude that that team is missing that since they lost Jimmy Butler that I think would be, you know, I think that it's something that – an edge that that team needs. Um, I think he would be a perfect fit. I want to do some Al Horford trades, though. Um, I got one more Tobias Harris trade that I love, but I want to do some Al Horford trades before I get to that. Let's hear um, it. I think Charlotte is the obvious fit. I just don't know what I would be asking for from the 76ers. Like is Cody Zeller and like Malik Monk enough? Like, I don't think it is. I'd rather just keep Horford. Honestly, like Monk has not been good in the NBA and Zeller is just a salary filler. Like he'd just be your backup center at $15 million a year. So I don't love, I I don't see anything with Charlotte that makes sense. They're not giving up the the number three pick for Al Horford. So let's talk about built go, whether it's for your mental or physical wall, Break through it with Built Go every day. These easy-to-carry one-and-a-half-ounce packages are perfect to bring with you in your briefcase or in your gym bag. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. It's five-hour energy without the same crash feeling. Plus, it's natural, so it's better for the body. It comes in three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, and chocolate mint. And Built Go combines energy gel with a collagen protein, a fast-absorbing protein that promotes joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin health, People, this stuff literally makes you feel better and look better. So here's the offer. Visit BuiltGo.com and use the promo code LOCKED and you'll get 30% off of your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED for 30% off at BuiltGo.com. I look at Chicago. Would you do Al Horford for like Lowry Markinen? From Philadelphia's perspective? Yeah. And you might have to throw in like the 21st pick if you're Philadelphia from marketing. I, you know, I, I feel like the Horford talk, do you rate him as bad? Like, it's easy to no. kind of write. I don't think he's bad. I just don't think he's great. I, th- I don't think he I is. I don't think a, he's as bad as he was in Philadelphia last year. That was more well, of you a do think? Okay, so you think, yeah, his, his last season was a bad one. Yeah, I think he had a – it wasn't as good as what you would expect from Al Horford at $27 million a year. 
that's I, I true. Think, I, I think that there's, I think that he's better than he was with the 76ers last year. And I think that that probably should be the belief around the NBA and probably is that like the fit was just so clunky between him and Joel Embiid. It's just never going to work with him playing power forward and Embiid playing center. That if you can make him the middle of your offense, he's, he's enough of a playmaker that we saw how valuable that is in the playoffs. And he could space the floor a little bit. He's a good, he's a decent rebounder, high, high, you know, basketball IQ type player. Obviously, we know what his track record is defensively. That I think that there's going to be a team out there that could use a veteran presence at center. And, and Horford could be really helpful for the right team in the right context. Look, I mean, Chicago isn't a bad deal in the sense that he's be he'd reunite with his former college coach and Billy Dolman. Oh, I uh, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's what immediately came to my mind. And not only that, but yeah, you know, there are a youngish team they could use uh, a, a boost there as far as more established veteran presence, a guy who's seen everything. I think Horford, towards this tail end of his career, might be willing to accept that lesser role. I don't think he. I mean, I, I'm sure he values reaching a championship level performance but at the same time i just don't know that that's i mean that was the goal well, when he joined was, philadelphia exactly. but uh you know i don't know uh, for marketing he's young i don't like rivers experience as far as mentoring young players and developing them as fully <laughs> right so i i don't know that you're gonna get more out of marketing than what we've seen and i think already he's been somewhat of a disappointment in chicago so well his problem is he can't stay on the floor Right. Um, which is health wise. Right. And so you combine that with Embiid and there's going to be a lot of games where you don't have Larry Markin and or Joel Embiid on the floor, right? Like right. your starting front court is not going to be playing. Right. Um, which could be problematic. So that was my, that was my thought process between the, the behind the, or the or Horford question I just asked, because it's like, we're talking about trading him. And at the same time, you, you kind of need him regardless of whether he was great or good or bad. You might just need him from a fit perspective because Embiid's not going to be available all the time. The problem is that you're paying your, your replacement center $27 million a year. So if you can go find another player who can kind of do more around the core and then, um, and then you know, you can, fill, you can find your backup center somewhere else, I, I suppose. But um, I think that's, if that's the question you're asking is, hey, do we have to pay our backup center $27 million a year because we're not sure Embiid's going to be on the floor? Then I think you should just trade Joel Embiid if you're that – on, uh, not confident in his ability to stay on the floor. That's fair. Um, they should right, just look, sign Hassan Whiteside, to be honest with you. There you go. Boom. Problem solved. Um, I think the obvious one that people throw out there is Sacramento. Right. Horford to Sacramento for Buddy Heald. I, I just think that there's still a belief from the Kings that they're going to want to have Marvin Bagley playing center for them. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that the Kings could probably get more from Heald uh, than maybe Al Horford. And, and, and maybe it's Al Horford and Josh Richardson for Buddy Heald and Namja Bielitsia. Who I think would be great fits for for the 76ers defensively though you're giving up a lot and I just I think you need more um on that end if you're Philly even with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid uh but that one's not all that interesting um what if Daryl Morey calls up his old team in Houston and just offers Al Horford for a package around Eric Gordon maybe you can get Eric Gordon and then like Ben oh. Nathamore or Eric Gordon and Daniel House I think again Eric Gordon's one of these untradeable contracts but so is Al Horford right now um, I, if you're Maury, maybe you just bet on Eric Gordon having a bounce back season. I I actually kind of like that deal. I I think I think he'd be a solid fit with Westbrook and Harden. I think he 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 could understand how to play that role. I mean, they'd have to change their style of play. Obviously, now they'd have a legitimate center for you know for as long as he's healthy and able to co contribute at a high level. 
I, I, you know, and Gordon, in theory, provides some of the floor spacing that we talked about before, a, a desperate need of Philadelphia. So it kind of makes sense. I, I, I like that uh, on the surface. I, I think you probably need to add more here and there uh, from both sides in order to yeah. make it more palatable. But at the same time, if that's the, the basic foundation of your trade proposal, it's not a bad one. No. And that's, and that's kind of where I'm at, right? It's, there's not that like Houston and Chicago, but it really would require that, that leap of if we're Houston, you know, they probably do want to have a traditional center. I don't think that they're going to want to play that way without Mike D'Antoni and Daryl Morey there. And so, but that's what Harden wants to play. Well, yeah. And that's the other question. So does does Harden stay, say, no, I want to play this way. Or is he willing to relinquish some of that and say, you know what, go ahead and get us a center. And if that's the case is Horford the center that they want. Um, I think maybe. he would be, though, right? I mean, well, from a floor spacer. Getting off of Eric Gordon's contract, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a floor spacer, a guy who can pass the ball to Harden or Westbrook and, and get those open looks if necessary, I think he, he makes a lot of sense from a fit perspective. And he still provides some big body that can provide on occasion for some rebounding as well. All right, so th- those are my Horford trades. I got one Tobias Harris trade uh, that Let's I feel really, really strongly about. Okay. Now, I know Tobias Harris has an untradeable contract because I think of these two, Tobias Harris is the better player, but I think Al Horford would be easier to trade. Is that fair? Uh, yes. I mean, Tobias's contract is just so ridiculous. Yes, um, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But Tobias Harris is a good player, right? I mean, yes. you know, he's 30 years old, but, he, you know, he, he could score. He could do some, you know, he could stretch the floor a little bit. He's a versatile enough defender. He plays well everywhere he is, from Orlando to Detroit to Los Angeles. I mean, he's been everywhere. And yes. he, just can, can, he has holes. He has weaknesses. But at the same time, he's a solid, serviceable player. And a great locker room presence. I mean, everybody yes. loves playing Tobias. Tobias Harris. You hear that everywhere, from every coach and every teammate he's ever had. Tobias Harris to the Spurs for DeMar DeRozan. Oh. I, I, mean, I don't know what the problem with this trade is. I, I have no idea why that this isn't being called into the league office right now. Just straight up. So for the Spurs, they might be looking to rebuild. DeMar DeRozan's in the last year of his contract. If they are indeed looking to rebuild, then it's time to get off of DeRozan. You get something for him rather than nothing. Tobias Harris has three more years, four more years left on that contract. Uh, it's a big contract, but the Spurs are building around rookies. They've got the cap space. And I think with Tobias, you get that good locker room presence, a guy who could space the floor around guys like Derek White and Lonnie Walker and, and DeJounte Murray and all these players that they've got. Um, he's, a, he's a natural fit next to Yaka Pertle at center. Uh, I think he can kind of help that roster click into place there. And um, if you're the Sixers, you're getting some of that shot creation that you were missing since Jimmy Butler left. Now, I know DeMar DeRozan isn't spacing the floor, but I don't think Jimmy Butler was really spacing the floor for Philly either. He was not. He was he's, not. He's, he's going to be a little bit of a – and he was one of the most efficient isolation scorers in the league last year. So when push comes to shove and you need a basket, that's where the Sixers have struggled, and that's where DeRozan has thrived. I think this if you're looking for the replacement for Jimmy Butler, look no further than DeMar DeRozan. And I think he's available from San Antonio, especially at, at, if it all it costs you is Tobias Harris. I think it's a win-win for both teams. My concern from the San Antonio side of things is they've got LaMarcus Aldridge still there. They've got Rudy Gay there still. I mean, I think you're trading both of them this year too, but you're not trading them to the 76ers. Right. So, so this is part one of several trades that have to be made at a later time. Yeah. Which I've already figured all that stuff out too, but that's another podcast. <laughs> well, in that case, send it on through Adam Silver. I think it just needs your John Hancock and we're ready to move on. I, I 
Look, I like it. I mean, you, you make a big point, a, a good point about the shot creation. And while DeRozan is not the kind of star player that you typically want to build around on your team or even have as a complimentary star type player, he can provide what they're missing, which is that shot creation. And I think he's able to get the ball, put the ball down, go for the mid-range, get to the free throw line on occasion, do everything that's necessary there. It's just another source of offense on a team that kind of looks sluggish, especially in the playoffs, but even during the regular season, particularly on the road, they just looked so bad. So they need another guy who can go in there, has been consistent. He is what he is, and that's kind of what you want in, the, in a player right now. You don't want to go for – see, that's the only thing, though, is that Maury doesn't make that kind of move. He wants to go for the home run typically. So I, I wonder if he's willing to kind of take a step back and say this is more about getting what we need rather than what we want. So that's an interesting question. But as far as fit is concerned, I think it's a really good one. Coming up next, we'll talk about why the Nets should be taken seriously as a contender in the East next season. This is Locked On NBA. David, I know you wanted to talk about the Nets because you told me before we started recording, we haven't talked about the Nets enough. And I think you're, you're right. I mean, this is a team that's going to return Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. They've got Steve Nash making these seemingly great moves, at least on paper, on that coaching staff. Uh, do you think we should be taking them more seriously as a contender in the East next season? I do. I do. I'm at a point now, Wes, where, like, interestingly enough, we spent most of the first couple of segments talking about Philadelphia and Houston because of the connection between Dara Morey. And those two are very interesting teams in the sense that we both questioned, and I think people in the NBA at large have questioned how those teams were built and what their, their level of success would be and things of that sort of the, the Westbrook Harden combination, the fit of Embiid and Simmons. I'm at a point now where I am long past trying to have any idea as to what works. I know that kind of seems like I'm insulting myself or my, my knowledge of the NBA, but at the same time, it's like we ha- we're so experienced right now, I think, in seeing the league that we're never quite sure what works or how it does. Like we're looking at this Nets team, and you look at Kevin Durant and then Kyrie Irving, and given their injury history and everything else that off, that's off the court regarding their personalities, and yes, it looks like a time bomb waiting to explode at any second. And I think that's fair. On the surface, it does look like a combustible pairing when you add a first-year head coach and Steve Nash as well as a, a supporting cast of players that might not be ready for that kind of tension or, or problems that are, are bound to arise in the locker room. But at the same time, like teams have just always thrived in that sort of thing. Like Durant and Irving might be impossible to deal with uh, from an off-the-court perspective, but they're still really, really good players. And we've seen enough footage, I think, from this offseason on Kevin Durant where he looks like he's at 100% or very close to it. I think he's ready to play at a high level. And if that's the case, you're still talking about one of the top five players in the NBA, point blank. And I think he's good enough alongside Irving to carry this team past the Eastern Conference, especially given the weird schedule and all the different things about next season that are, are such huge question marks around the league. I think you have to just boil it down to who has the most talent. And right now in the East, a lot of that seems like, as far as talent perspective is concerned, it seems like it's boiled down in, in Brooklyn. And I think they'll be able to get the most out of that roster. I think they'll be able to work together. The Nash hire has been questioned by and large, but I think he's able to relate to those two players at a very high level. And given that, I I think it could be a really, really successful pairing. I I don't know. Maybe I'm just – maybe it just seems interesting, if nothing else. I know 
Sports Illustrated had a piece recently about if the Nets are the most interesting team in the league, I, I think that's harder to dissect. They are absolutely going to be interesting. If for nothing else, it's, it's watching uh, uh, you know, a car accident play out over 72 games, potentially. But at the same time, they're, just, they're going to be good. I really think that they are, and I think they have a legitimate chance of advancing to the finals. I think the key with Steve Nash is that he's the, Steve, he's the Kevin Durant whisperer, right? And when it comes to Durant... All it takes is getting on his good side and coaxing the most out of him. I, I think if Steve Nash can make, can make that happen, is Kevin Durant the best player in the Eastern Conference? I mean, obviously it depends on what he looks like coming back from the Achilles, but players have been coming back from that better and better. And, and look, this is, there's obviously parts of his game that you'll miss, even if that Achilles is never 100% again, but he's still going to be seven feet tall. He's still going to be one of the best shooters in the league. And he's still going to be versatile defensively, even if he's not as versatile. I mean, he's still long and athletic, and he can protect yeah. the rim for you. Um, yeah. Look, I know Giannis is coming off of back-to-back MVP campaigns. I get it. But in, the, in a playoff setting, he might be the best player in the Eastern Conference um, if he's at least, I don't know what, 85, 90% of what he was. I think that's fair. Well, I mean, who would you rather have with a, a game on the line? Who would you rather have – you know, to get that bucket for you. I mean, I, despite Adetokounmpo's strengths in many areas, it's absolutely still Kevin Durant, right? 100%. I mean, you could, you could compare him to Adetokounmpo or the rest of the league. I mean, Durant has, a, has an argument, right? I mean, yeah. uh, and I think obviously the question is, the, you know, the Kyrie Irving factor is what it is. What, is that, what does that team look like if they really do reshape it? Are they going to move Karis LeVert? Are they going to move Jared Allen and Spencer Dinwiddie? And are they going to re- bring back Joe Harris? I mean, there's so many moving parts when it comes to that roster yeah. that uh, it, all that stuff really matters. But um, if, if your foundation is Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, plus this coaching staff that looks really good, like I said, on paper, I mean, you've got Steve Nash there. You've got Mike D'Antoni, who we know is going to be as creative as possible. Yes. Um, with that offense, uh, I and Steve Nash kind of coming in and setting the tone that is going to be very, I think, Warriors esque, which is ironic when you consider that Kevin Durant wanted to leave the Warriors in part because <laughs> they were so Warriors esque. Well, I mean, also because of the the shine on Steph Curry, right? Now this is his team, right? Even with Kyrie already there before him, I think you still look at KD as the star of the Nets team. Isn't that fair? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So he doesn't have to deal with the kind of Curry getting all the attention that he was before. The, the idea that he was joining Curry's team as opposed right. to and now if, he's... And if Brooklyn wins, it will be because he is easily the best player. It's his team right. And, right. and that he's going to lead that team. I get it. Um, I just, I still find it ironic. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, like, I, I think that the Nets, when you, when you look at what the Eastern Conference is going to be next year... You know, you're going to have the Bucks in the mix. The 76ers, I suppose, will be in it, depending on what they look like. Um, but I think certainly the Bucks and the Brooklyn Nets and Miami and Boston. I, I think those are the two. If you're, going to, if you're going to sort of rank what teams you're most confident in, it would be those four in some order. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And look, I mean, the Kyrie factor, now that you mentioned Miami, I feel like you know, everybody's kind of talking about him because he's a flake and he's so weird. He's always introducing these strange concepts and things of that sort. Like we forget that he's a really, really good player or, or maybe just, you know, he's been injured and he was so problematic in Boston, but he didn't choose to go to the Celtics. That was not his choice. That was a weird locker room there, a weird fit for him as far as, trying to understand what it takes to be a leader. I don't think he's going to be that leader there. I don't think it's going to be Durant either, but at the same time, uh, it, 
I don't think they're going to be relying on them as far as their leadership in that locker room. They're going to have to find somebody else to kind of be that loudest voice. Maybe it'll be Nash. I don't know. Uh, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see. But as far as Irving is concerned, he chose to go to Brooklyn. This is his team now. And I think he's going to be just the best version of him that we can expect to see. A, a far cry from what he was like in Boston. And Celtics fans will never forgive him for tearing that team apart and potentially costing their young players a chance at developing to their fullest. I understand that. I think it'll be a little different in Brooklyn, though. Uh, I agree. And um, look, I think that there's been a lot to do about that roster, about DeAndre Jordan versus Jared Allen. Like, I get that we all like Jared Allen, and, and but DeAndre Jordan is not a terrible player. And there is a veteran presence there. And in the, in the playoffs, I think that's a legitimate question is who would you rather have on the floor, DeAndre Jordan or Jared Allen? I think that's a fair question to ask. I think long-term, you obviously want Jared Allen. I don't know that you need to trade Jared Allen on that contract either. Um, at least not right now, but look, if you can go and get players who just fit with Durant and with, uh, with Kyrie Irving, we're acting like guys like Spencer Dinwiddie and Jared Allen are just these untouchable type of guys. And they're just not right. right. And, yeah. um, look, and look, Karis LeVert, I think that they should probably keep him. There's a, there's an ability to create off the dribble and create his own shot. And when you look at guys like Durant coming back from the Achilles and Irving with his, uh, injury history, I think you're just going to need a guy who could basically, be the third guy on most nights, but then come well, do you out and even be able need to lead a big the three when they're out? Yeah, do you even need a big three considering how teams are being built around the league now? Like, I mean, you could make an argument that your Warriors are are the most talented as far as like upper echelon level talent, but even then, I mean, none of the other contending teams have three star level players. So, would you sacrifice their depth? in order to acquire a potential third star? At this point, I would say no. I think you've got enough in Durant and Irving. You'll stand Pat there, and you continue to rely on Levert coming up big, Dinwiddie coming up big on occasion, and guys like Allen and Jordan still providing a way to, to contribute. I th- and, and guys like Irving and Durant are so easy to build around because they can yeah. shoot. All you need to do is put defenders around them and guys who can just do a little bit of, you know, the dirty work and stuff like that. Um, All right, David, it's election Tuesday. If you were running for president of the NBA, what's the first thing that you would promise to do? Oh, you know, this is uh, probably just a personal pet peeve of mine. I would get rid of a lot of the crowd noise. Uh, like, I, I don't know. Uh, I would just, I feel like it's become such an incredible distraction. Now people are so glued to their phones they're not even paying attention to what's going on. You've got a 10-foot-tall mascot coming up behind you, dunking your head in popcorn or something like that. You don't even realize it's happening because you're looking at the ticky talk or whatever it is that you're trying to currently see on your phone. It's, it's so, I don't know, like you're not paying attention to the game itself anymore because everybody's on their phone. I know I sound like old man yelling at clouds. That's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll bear that one. I, I completely agree with you. At the same time, it's like the beauty of the game is being ignored. It's being drowned out by the constant music, the constant dance teams, the DJ, the, the crowd in arena host yelling and trying to get your attention while they're fleeing cheap China-made T-shirts at your, your head. I don't know. There's so much going on in the games. And maybe it's just from a media perspective, too. Like, you can't do any actual work, or it's very hard to, as you well know, when it's so much noise going on in the background. But at the same time, you're just not enjoying the game as much as you should. And I think, like, we should do something differently to accentuate and heighten the in-game experience without drowning it out with all that noise. I have almost been decapitated by a T-shirt uh, on Media Row once before. So I 100% I agree with you. Um, All right. But the first thing I'm getting rid of is the kiss cam. Oh, 
You, you've rallied against, I think this is your fourth podcast talking about how much it irks you. And, and no, I think it's more that it revolts you. you. Like you hate the awkwardness of the kiss cam. It's, there's nothing good about it. That's right. At all. It's voyeuristic at best. And, um, I, I, and so, yeah, I'm not going to keep introducing topics just so that I can rally against the, the kiss cam. Yes, you I are. think, yes, uh, you are. I guess I will. Um, no, it's disgusting. There's no place for it. I can't believe in 2020 that we still have it after the Me Too movement and all this stuff. Like, it's just an excuse for old guy to make out with his wife when she clearly does not want to do that on camera. Um, I, it's disgusting. Like, at, at, at worst, it's disgusting. At best, it's awkward. I, it's never, like, it doesn't strike me as anything that anybody wants to see or makes anybody's night even marginally better. I, you know, I just, I don't understand how it still exists. They need to get rid of it. I don't want to spend too much time on the kiss cam though, because I have a more um, tactile uh, promise that I want to make. And that okay. is, I want to realign the entire league. I, I, everybody keeps saying, get rid of conferences, do all this stuff. The Western conference is so much stronger than the Eastern conference. The, the, the solution is to just get rid of conferences. And that to me has never been the solution. If you get rid of conferences, it makes scheduling a freaking nightmare. You're getting rid of a lot of rivalries. And I just don't like that. I like the idea of having divisions. I'm a traditionalist when it comes to those things. And I think that sports are generally traditional in those things as well. Um, but so instead of eliminating conferences, just realign them. The NBA it doesn't make sense to have a Western conference and an Eastern conference. I, I don't think that you should follow a lot of what major league baseball does, but if there's one thing you can follow, they have the best divisional alignments in sports. You have two leagues an American league and a national league. And in each league, you have an, uh, an Eastern conference, you have a central or an Eastern division, a central division, and then a Western division. And you can break up, the, and, and, and major league baseball and the NBA have the same amount of teams at 30. You could just mirror those divisions and solve a lot of problems. You'd have two Western divisions of true Western teams that don't include teams that are not in the West, like Memphis. Um, and I think that you can solve a lot of problems. You would have two central divisions, two Eastern divisions. You would be able to maintain all of the rivalries. You would be able to maintain um, uh, Western divisions that would help their own travel together. Cause that's the other part of eliminating conferences. You're basically screwing teams like Portland um, that still need to travel all around the country. You keep things tight regionally that, that, that helps travel, keeps uh, back-to-backs at a minimum and all, and, and all those things. While main, and you, get, you, you increase the parity of the NBA. You're not having this dominant Western Conference anymore because you have some of the best Western Conference teams in both of these new conferences. That, and you can still keep the KISS camp. If that's the trade we have to make, then uh, leave the conferences the way they are. We're getting rid of the, the kiss cam. That, that's bipartisanship right there. Um, of the players on the team you covered, David, who would make the most interesting politician? Most interesting? Oh, boy. I mean, I, I think he could make a strong case for Jimmy Butler. I think his style uh, in the locker room has been questioned over the past couple of years. I, I think it certainly he would be uh, – <laughs> the kind of politician that would certainly, uh, you know, be honest uh, first and foremost. And I think it would be a little dangerous sometimes, but at the same time, I like Udonis Haslam. You know, I think he's an interesting guy who's involved in local politics. He's in lo- involved in, you know, providing for the community and everything else. I-, I would like to see him eventually enter a political foray here. Just if nothing else, 
if you're, you, who, who the hell is going to, who the hell is going to try and counteract anything that Udonis is trying to pass <laughs> through council meetings or anything like that? Like they, they face being thrown out a window or something. I, I just, I think he's going to be interesting. No one's going to talk down to him. When Udonis has the floor, no one's going to dare to interrupt. I think he, all he has to do is he's going to wear like a mouthpiece on the dais and he still chew it regularly. I would love to see that. Very McCarthy. Um, I, I don't, I, he would be intimidating. And that, that, I guess that, I suppose that works. Um, who would be on the bottom of his ticket? Who would be the vice president? Uh, Eric Spolster. Oh, very good. I didn't think we could. I, I, I said players, but Eric Spolster would be good because then I would just go with Steve Kerr. That would be the obvious one. But uh, I w- I'm going to stick to players. Draymond Green would be the most interesting. Um, he would be the best on the debate stage. Yes. And uh, I, I think that he'd probably also be the most knowledgeable about the policies and, uh, and really care. I just don't think that like guys like Clay Thompson really care. No. no <laughs> and so um, I think like Clay Thompson doesn't even show up for most of his media stuff. So I don't, th- I don't even, ex- I don't show him to, ex- I don't expect him to show up to it at a debate stage. Um, no, I think Draymond Green would be, and then the perfect vice president for Draymond Green would be Steph Curry because he's just, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, worry anybody. He doesn't offend anybody. <laughs> he, he's just very bland. I mean, he would be like the Mike Pence of that. He just Ooh. like, does he really talk? It doesn't matter. He's a good Christian family man who has, you know, those values. And I think could, could, uh, w- would, uh, reach out to a lot of different demographics. I think he was just be a really perfectly placed vice presidential candidate who doesn't really need to talk all that much because Draymond Green will be doing all the talking. I can't recall exactly where the quote comes from, but uh, I remember hearing once that the vice president position had been likened to a warm bucket of spit. So uh, <laughs> it seems like your chances of getting a one-on-one with Steph anytime soon. I, are... re- I really hope it doesn't get out that I just compared Steph Curry to Mike Pence. That's not really what I meant. Or I a warm like bucket of spit. Of, yeah. <laughs> I, that's going to that's gonna be taken out of context and all of my uh, ability to talk to Steph has just uh, dried out. Remember to subscribe to new episodes of Locked on NBA wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate, review, and say nice things about the show. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stick with Locked on NBA tomorrow morning.